go ahead and get started. Uh, thanks everyone for coming. Uh, my name is Drew Lyons, and uh, my wife and I lead the Blue Ridge Church of Christ, uh, which uh, the, the campus arm of the church uh, is the Blue Ridge Campus Ministry. And so the Blue Ridge Campus Ministry tonight is uh, uh, proud to host uh, this, this lecture on Christ and culture and finding identity in Christ in the age of Trump. Uh, I want to introduce our speaker uh, tonight. He is of the class of 2003 in the University of Virginia. Wow, it's great. He works for a local software company. Uh, his father of three is a great guy. Bobby's going to come up here and give us a great uh, lecture tonight. And what we can take uh, in this age of uh, social media, uh, this, in this age that we live in today, uh, kind of sometimes floundering of what to do and how to how to find identity. So without further ado, uh, let's give a round of applause uh, for Bob. I'm here to talk to y'all tonight about what it means to have identity in the Lord Jesus Christ under the presidency of Donald J. Trump. Stop right there. I'm going to ask you a question first before we get going what did you think of that? What were some of the thoughts and feelings that were that were going through you right there? I was I was uh, I was presenting myself in a certain way, and maybe it was a little uncomfortable. I remember uh, Drew was that's going to happen all night. Um, Drew was giving a sermon, and, uh, and and he made a just an offhanded reference to like it doesn't matter who the president is, God is in control, and there was an awkward silence. I don't know if you all felt it. But there are awkward silences when we hear about these political identity issues. Right. So here you have, I showed that to you for maybe five seconds. Somebody who you might not know, white guy with a beard dressed up talking about Jesus and America and Trump with kind of an aggressive posture, right? And you might be thinking some things, you might start assuming some things about who I am and what this is going to be about. Well, let's try something different. Then. Hey guys, tonight we're going to explore together what it means to have identity in Jesus Christ together as a community in the current political situation our country's in. How'd you feel about that? Did you feel different? Yeah. Maybe you were maybe you were really uncomfortable with the first guy and on board with the second guy. Or maybe you were kind of buckled up, let's do this for the first guy, and sort of rolling your eyes at the scruffy hipster glasses second guy. Come on, hipster glasses. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. <clears throat> um, we uh, with our identities, we're always projecting something. And we're always observing what other people are, are, uh, are, are showing us in what we wear, how we talk. And with social media, it's gone beyond just real life. With social media, it's, it's also how you post, what you retweet, what you snap, what you like, what you don't like, the arguments you get into. I don't know if you can relate to this, but this is a, uh, this is a, a huge issue, I think, for a whole lot of people. I um, pretended to be two different people to make a point about identity, and I think it was pretty obvious. We're constantly presenting ourselves to each other. 
And, um, and to be honest, I care too much about what people think of me. I think, uh, I, I think our, the age we live in, we're pretty, we can be kind of neurotic. We can be self-absorbed, self-obsessed. Um, we're, uh, we're not just building our resumes here at UVA. We're also building our images. We're not just racking up our achievements. We're racking up a persona that we can show to the world. Um, I, I overthought tonight how I would look and sound, and honestly, I'm really terrified of dropping like an 80s cultural reference that, no, that most people won't get. It'll be awkward, you know. But you know, when we uh, when we when we show ourselves to people, we're always thinking, how does this look? Who are they? Who am I? How can I how can I look better? How can I impress this person? How can I put this person on edge? Uh, how can I um, how can I make this person more comfortable? How can I push this person away? And maybe you've had some of those thoughts coming to this event. Maybe you've been thinking, am I the sort of person who would come to something with Trump in the title? What would my sweet mates, what would my roommates think if they knew that I was going to something about both Jesus and Trump? My goodness, two two people who are who are often unpopular for different reasons, and uh, put together, it's a, it's a potent combination. <clears throat> you might be thinking, am I here to fight? Did I come in here to pick a fight? Did I come in here to stand my ground, to shout the guy down, whatever, whatever, whatever is said? Maybe you were thinking, I'm not a Christian, but I'm open-minded, so I'm going to challenge myself to step out of my comfort zone. Um, maybe you're thinking, I'm going to walk out if he does that American flag thing again. Makes people uncomfortable. It's true. Um, or maybe, maybe you're thinking, if you're like a lot of UVA students, maybe you're thinking, my future is in politics, and I need to know this stuff. I need to be ready to deal. I need to be ready to fight in the arena, you know, like a gladiator. I need to be able to rattle off my stats, have my arguments, you know, <clears throat> build the resume. But the question that I want to ask you tonight, as you're thinking all these things, about identity, about politics, social movements. I want to ask you, okay, I thought that was my laptop. I want to ask you this question. Who are you? Anybody know the 60s rock band, The Who? Yes. I should have put it in there. And who are you? Okay. Who are you? How do you identify yourself? In uh, recent years, um, in recent years, sexual and racial identity have been really, really high in the national consciousness. You know, uh, everybody's talking about how do you self-identify? What uh, what kinds of people are you comfortable around? And so these questions get get bandied about. Keep going here. We have multi-layered identities. I think that uh, the past couple of years have really made that clear. If you think in those terms, um, we have some things about us that are genetic. They're handed down to us. Right? You can't choose your family, um, your, your, your nationality when you're young, your nationality, your race, your right. you know, ethnicity, all those things, those are given to you, and, and you have no choice in the matter, and it's part of your identity. Some things about us are the product of choice. It's going to keep doing that. Some things we do are the product of choice. I think we're really aware of this in college when we have this buffet of choices open to us. When I came here as a first year, I was um, I was trying to I was trying to create I was trying to find myself you know I think all of us go through that phase for a little bit um, in high school I my identity was I was the 
third smartest, I thought I was the smartest, I third highest GPA, in the class, <clears throat> in my graduating class of 23, and I was really, you know, that was a big deal for me. And then I came to UVA, like a lot of you might have, and then I realized I'm kind of average, actually. I'm UVA average, right? And, um, and that was kind of a stunner to me. It's like, okay, well, if I'm not gonna be the smartest guy here, or even the third smartest guy here, what am I gonna do with myself? So I thought back all the things that I enjoy doing. I tried out for club volleyball. I was, I was the captain of the varsity volleyball team in uh, high school. And I, I yeah, my school, my senior class of 23 people, mind you. Um, so, I, so I tried out for the club volleyball team thinking, well, I might not be amazing, but I'm reasonably high stuff, volleyball. And everybody else, like maybe half the other guys there were, were all wearing the same summer volleyball camp shirt. And they all knew each other. It was like the first month of school, and they were all like setting each other, and like, because they all went to the same thing at Penn State every summer, and they were like, way better. Than, okay, fine. So volleyball's not going to be my thing. I still like volleyball, but it's not what I'm going to go after. And I went through some other things, and I and I um, I tried drama. I tried out for ADP. Is that still here? Yeah, it is. That was really bad. That that went worse, in fact, than all of the other uh, all of the other attempts at finding myself. Um, I, sang, I think I sang a Neil Diamond song poorly. Um, wow. Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> so, I, so I kept trying to make these choices, trying to, trying to find myself, trying to create who I was going to be here. You guys with me on that? Do you know yeah. how that feels yeah. in college? Yeah. When you go through your phases, your transitions in life, you think, who am I? Who am I? Every time I get a new job. Every time, I, every time I go into a new sta station in life, I think, all right, am I finally going to bite the bullet and be Robert? Uh, I haven't done it yet. Oh, I'm going to turn 36, and I, I'm still Bobby. Um, but that's cool, because it's, you know, it's my identity. Um, there are so many other things that, that form our identity, not just, uh, not just the things that we're given genetically or whatever, and not just the choices we make. It's also chance. The chance things that happen to us. It's also our emotions and our experiences, things done to us, uh, not just things that we choose to do. Um, another, uh, um, another thing that really stuck with me that kind of created my identity was, uh, was in high school, and I really appreciate that this is being filmed and broadcast onto Facebook where my <laughs> high school friends can possibly see it. Um, but uh, so, believe it or not, I'd never gone on a date. And uh, it was junior year of high school, and I, uh, you know, screwed my courage to the wall and said, all right, fine, I'm going to ask her. And so I called her, I, I called up the, the girl I liked, and I asked her if, um, if she wanted, you know, hang out or something and stuff. Um, you know, you play cool, right? And, um, and she, she sort of dipped and dodged and said, oh, maybe another time, maybe I could be there, maybe not. Okay, fine. Um, so I went, and she didn't show up, and that's, that's fine. Oh. And, um, I know, I know. This is this is a mo this is very therapeutic for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so I uh, so I went to school after that weekend on Monday, and I told my buddy, uh, "Hey man, I it was I, I'm so embarrassed. I invited her to come hang out, and she didn't." He said, "Oh, you didn't know she's dating this semi-pro soccer player." I think everybody knows that. Everybody except you. <laughs> so anyway, those are the things that happen to you that stick with you for a while, right? And so my, uh, so a big part of my identity going into college was, I'm Bobby, I'm the single guy. 
That was that was that was a lot of who I that was how I saw myself, right? Yeah. I want to introduce my wife, Audrey. <laughs> lovely, lovely mom. Love of my mom. <laughs> so as we um, so as we as we go through life, even as we go from day to day, all of these layers of our identity can become more or less prominent. And what I mean by that is, um, uh, I'll give you another example. I'm a third culture kid. I grew up uh, in Central and South America, sometimes, and sometimes up in Arlington. And so I learned to speak Spanish, and I'm sort of like, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm American, but I also am used to living overseas, and that's a whole other thing there. And that part of me completely goes away until I hear somebody speak Spanish, or until I hear somebody say Guatemala, and then I'm like, ooh, hey, I can, I can, I can chat with you on this. So these layers of our personality can can come up to the can come to the forefront and they can recede into the background. Yeah. Um, are, are you with me so far? This is how this is how identity can seem to work. I yeah. think nowadays. So that takes us to our problem. So there are a lot of things that make you you, and those things change from day to day. Sometimes you feel like. You are this thing, and other days you don't you don't think of yourself in that way so much, um, and it takes it takes outside stimulus to bring those to bring that out of you. But nowadays, in the media climate that we're in, with social media, with the you know, recent election, we are getting back to Trump. We'll, we'll get there. With um, we, we have all this external stimulus right. that's uh, that's that's poking us and prompting us. Where are you? What side are you on? Where do you stand with this issue or that issue? I'm always a I'm always a Giants fan. I became a Giants fan when I was five or six years old because I saw I think Phil Simms and Lawrence Taylor on a Sports Illustrated cover, and I was like, that's going to be my team forever. And they still are, um, but I'm you know I'm not really super passionate about it until they're playing the game. But now it feels like the game is always being played politically. I don't know how it is at UVA these days, but back when I was here, there was always somebody protesting something. There was always somebody making fun of that, that group of people that was protesting. There were always maybe multiple groups and causes and actions going on. Um, and I can only imagine it's probably more so now. Um, political and social issues are always on. And there are some real personal and national consequences to this. Um, I read in a survey that uh, most people now would have a much bigger problem with their child marrying somebody of the opposite political persuasion than they would uh, marrying somebody of another religion. Back in the 60s, it was not that way. It wasn't that way at all. Um, uh, whether you were a Republican or a Democrat, there was a broad national consensus. There was, a lot of, uh, there was a lot of diversity within each party about various issues, and they weren't monolithic blocks at war with each other. Whereas Protestant and Catholic was a huge deal back in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Less so now, I think. Our social media, you've probably heard this before, is self-curated into what are called silos. You have your, you've got your red feed and your blue feed. Wall Street Journal did something about this. They came up with an algorithm um, that would show you for any given news event, any given thing that's going on, this is the this is what this is what a Facebook feed would look like about that issue to somebody who's who identifies as conservative, the red feed, and this is what it looks like for somebody who's uh, self-identified liberal, the blue feed. So if there's a school shooting, 
something like that. Gun rights over here, and gun control over here. And that's the only thing that's pressed and pressed and pressed hard on you all the time, depending on how you identify yourself on Facebook. It's weird how I'm so glad that I graduated and started dating my wife before Facebook came along. Because it seems to me like it just makes everything a whole lot more complicated. I don't know. Uh, Bill Bishop wrote a, uh, he's a, he's a scholar, he wrote in 2004 a book called The Big Sort. Uh, his thesis, I'm going to read it to you, as people tend to vote the same way, and like people, like-minded people tend to cluster together, such clustering increases greater polarization in voting patterns. And, and greater polarization in voting patterns is the consequence. Um, so that's why, got that. So that's why we've got, um, you know, you, you, you might remember the election of 2000. That was where red state, blue state first came up. It's like the Republicans win the big blob in the middle, and Democrats win the coasts and a couple of urban centers, and that's just how it's going to be. And that has been generally how it's gone with more liberal people congregating in big cities, especially on the coasts, and everybody else leaning conservative. Um, and as we pull apart from each other, there are huge national consequences. There was a marriage counselor who recently described our political division as like a long divorce. When both, stop, when both sides stop talking and refuse to see anything good about the other, how many relationships have you seen cut off? How many people have you unfollowed because of the nonsense? Entire churches have split over things like this. So that's the problem. That's the problem, and I hope, I hope I've conveyed it to you with all the seriousness that it deserves. <clears throat> we are a, a divided country, and maybe, maybe some of you here aren't even American. Um, I'm really curious. Maybe we can talk about it in the Q&A or in, in the break. You know what things are like in your country. Uh, there's a there's a woman in our church from Kenya, and um, and so I guess because she clicks on things, it comes up in my in my Facebook feed, and they've got a real problem over there. They've got their own election and a lot of like clashing. I wouldn't have known anything about that, but it's a it's a human problem. It's a human problem, not just an American problem. So, what does the Bible say about identity? Spoiler alert. I am a Christian. Uh, I do look to the Bible as the starting point for all of my answers about these things, and I encourage you to do the same. Um, I don't view the Bible as a uh, as a as a magical book that has all the answers in in a in a very plain way to way to find. You know, it's not a checklist of things to do. It's a story. And when we enter into that story, we learn that God has a plan for us and God has a way that we should, that we should live. And we're going to start off in Genesis 1, verse 27. The Bible says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. According to the story of Genesis, God created man in his own image. Man's identity is from the beginning linked to a purpose. Bible goes on, I, I recommend that you read it tonight, goes on to talk about man's purpose. Man's purpose, and, and woman, is to work the garden, is to subdue it, to bring a godly order to the world, um, to be fruitful and to multiply, to do creative work, right? To establish order, um, to bring justice, to live in justice, and to improve what God has given him. 
uh, and, and also being responsible for the land. So these are the things, these are like the seeds of identity that God places in humanity. These are the first things. This is where we can start. The, uh, the early Christians, I read a book in preparing for this, Robert Louis Wilkins, he's a, he's a professor emeritus here. Uh, he wrote a book called The Spirit of Early Christian Thought, really recommend it. It's an easy read, it's very engaging. It's going to keep happening. Um, there, was a, uh, there was an early Christian philosopher, theologian, teacher named Clement of Alexandria, and he said this, human destiny is linked to its origin in God, and likeness with God is possible because we were made in the image of God. He said, where we're going, what our goal is, the Greek is telos, the purpose or the goal, where we're going is, is, is revealed to us in the beginning. Because we are in God, because we are made in the image of God, we are going in this certain direction. First Christians saw the goal of man in the, in the very beginning. This rings true, I think, for many people, even if you're not a Christian or, or, or Jewish. We have a gut feeling that our talents and our energies and our love are made for a purpose. They're not just made for us to enjoy, you know? We're not just here, if you're a student, you're not just here at UVA to enjoy yourself. It's hard to believe because they put a lot of big screen TVs and swimming pools. It's like a spa. It was in 2003 when I was here. It's pretty awesome now too. You know, our, our, our modern universities are set up almost to entertain you. Um, it's hard to resist that. It's, it's hard to resist that message that you're being given, that you are here to enjoy yourself and improve yourself. We're here for a higher purpose. We feel, especially in our college ages, a great sense of potential. Um, we, we feel like, wow, look at how far I've come. I'm living on my own now. It's exciting. I remember being so excited. Sometimes I'm still kind of amazed that I'm allowed to drive a car. <laughs> I'm an adult. I can just get in this car and drive someplace. Um, it's going to be great if you're, if you're not there yet. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we have this great sense of purpose and potential. Chasing after and failing to meet that potential is one of the most bitter pills to swallow later on in life. So I encourage you, if you're a student, pay attention. Did I get that? Yeah. Another, um, uh, another uh, great early Christian thinker and teacher, St. Augustine, or Augustine of Hippo, he said, you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. St. Augustine understood that if we are created by God and for God, then nothing short of God will do. No amount of learning, no amount of pleasure, no amount of self-actualization or fulfillment on our terms will, will match what it means to find rest in God. What else does the Bible say about identity? We're going to go through a couple of scriptures here, all from Paul's writings. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new, cre Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Paul writes over and over again, in almost every single one of his letters, what it means to be in Christ. To be in Christ is to be made completely new. The old self, which is burdened by sin, you know, we're, we're, we're given the image of God in our, in our creation, and then in the fall, it's tarnished. The early Christians would say, we're like mirrors and we've been smudged by sin, by our own, by our own desires. Um, the old self is dead and gone, and the new self is the present reality that we can live in. Now, what is that new self? What is this 
identity in the modern parlance that we're talking about. Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We carry, as Christians, we carry Jesus' identity. And we benefit from his performance, not our own. Um, performance is such a huge uh, uh, carrier of identity. Yeah. When, I was, when I was a student here, my GPA, 2.94, was such a big deal to me. And obviously I still remember it, and I'm still kind of upset that I can't round up to 3.0. Um, you know what? That's how it is. That's how it is. Being real. Being real talk. Therapy. Um, but the, um, our performance can form how we think of ourselves. Yeah. Am I a success? Am I a good person? Am I able to contribute to society? And if I can't, then I'm worthless. If I can't get there, if I can't do that thing that I've, that I've, that I've been wanting to do, if I can't, if I can't get that date, if I can't achieve this, this goal, this objective, then I have failed as a person. We carry Jesus' accomplishment, not our own. What else does the Bible say? In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. This new creation that Paul talks about, the Gospels, Jesus talks about it, um, and the, the early church lived it out. I believe we live it out today. This new creation isn't something that is just between us and God. Okay, this is a thing. This is where uh, this is where our current social climate can trip us up really easily. We think of identity as a strictly personal thing. I am me. I am my experiences. You can't judge me. You can't judge my experiences, my feelings. You don't know me. Stay back. My identity is me and me alone. The Bible says that our identity is a communal one, which. To be honest, as an American, that is really uncomfortable for me. I live out in the country, and I kind of like that, to be honest. I kind of like having my closest neighbor be, you know, yonder. Um, there's, there's something about that that I, that I like. I want to be an independent man. I want to be living off on my own. Um, I don't want to be dependent on anybody else. I don't want to need anybody else. Wow. The Bible says we do need each other. The Bible actually says in Romans we belong to each other. Oh. <laughs> Drama. I don't want to belong to anybody. I don't want anybody's problems to become my problems. Wow. I don't want my problems to become your problems. I don't want to look weak in front of you. Right? That's how we think. That's how we are as Americans. Maybe if you're not American, maybe you can possibly relate to that. Maybe. I think it's a human... I think it's a human condition. We just, Americans seem to have it in a rarefied form. <clears throat> um, the new creation isn't something that we experience all on our own. It's something that we experience together. We live it out together. It's worked out in a community called the church or the body of Christ, as Paul says. Which brings me to my thesis tonight. And if you, if you, can, if you can state this in your own words at the end... I will have uh, accomplished what I set out to do. A Christian's identity in Christ supersedes and transforms all other relationships and all other identities that we might have. I'm a lot of things. You are a lot of things. And, and nobody's taking away any of those things. You know, if you're, um, if, if, you're, if you're really excited that you're from some state, 
If you're excited that you're from New Jersey, Rob, I'm not going to take that away from you. Whatever you might be, whatever you might be, that continues to exist, but it is superseded and transformed, used by Jesus for his purpose. Drew suggested that I might rephrase this to say a Christian's identity in Christ trumps. Oh, there's Drew's idea. Drew's idea. I can't believe it occurred to me when I was putting it together. Okay. So, uh, that's all well and good. Love you, man. That's all well and good, but what does it matter for you today? I've found that when I'm talking with students, and even when I was, when I was, talking, when I was thinking about these things when I was a student, it tended to be just words until I could see it lived out, until I could do something. I remember talking with uh, one very politically active student. I actually looked him up. He's doing okay. Looked him up online yesterday. Um, it was a joke that he would finally, like, one day, light himself on fire in protest of something. He was, like, very passionate about everything. But I, I got to share my faith with him. I got to talk to him. And he, he very brusquely dismissed everything I had to say as pie in the sky when you die. You might have heard that before might also have heard smells and bells, like if you're from a liturgical church, burning the incense, ringing the bells, and that's all it is. Or, you know, pie in the sky when you die, like nothing about this matters on earth. You're just telling yourself everything's going to be okay when you're dead, and it's a crutch for the weak. Wow. That's what people say. I'm going to warn you. Sure. They say yeah. it. They say it. Well, let's take what we, what we know about our identity in Christ as Christians. We're going to take it back to today going to go back to the problem. Political and social movements know how to capture hearts and minds. They need a core of people to embody a certain identity. They need a core of people to speak loudly and often, <clears throat> to voice their views loudly, pulling the middle of the, of the community, whoever they're trying to win over, pulling the middle over towards them. And if they can't, to marginalize or ignore those who disagree or don't care or don't view the issue in those in whatever terms are being pushed. Okay, when this comes back, yeah, there we go. Um, you can see this is a um, uh, this is from the Pew Research Center. Over the last 20 years, um, the uh, the two main political parties in our country um, have have slowly diverged the uh, in, in terms of their their political views, how they score on a on a standardized. A political philosophy test administered by Pew. And you see that they're pulling apart. There's less in common. And we go back to our to our same to our same old problem that the country is divided, relationships are being broken, churches are being split, um, and we are uh, we're we're doing a, a long slow national divorce. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about how about how a political movement doesn't matter what it is. You can apply this to anything, left or right or center or libertarian, whatever. <clears throat> Every movement knows that it has to be believed in. It's not about just agreeing to a set of principles. Okay, it's not about just saying yes. I hear what you're saying. You're making a rational case. I agree with you. No, it has to be it has to come from someplace deep in your core. And the way it works, and the way it seems to play out is, each of these movements becomes a little kingdom unto itself. I'm going to start using some Christian terminology to describe, uh, uh, to describe political movements. Um, you have on one side the idea that America is a chosen nation, that we have God's approval 
to bring our ways into the into the rest of the world. Or we, you know, we are we are charged by God to be like this, and He is certainly with us, and whatever we do is right and good. And that's a that's a movement, that's a way of thinking. Um, it's it's something that when you feel it, you don't let it go. It's like family, you know, all of these things are are, are like family. When you feel in your bones, yes, America is the, is, is the best nation on earth, always will be, what we do is right. You're living in the kingdom of Americanism. If you believe that social progress is like the gospel, you know, the good news is social liberation, social change. And as, as good or true as, as any of these things might be, um, you know, I personally agree with, with aspects of all four platforms. But when you live in this kingdom, when this is what you're about, when this is what you feel in your bones more than anything else, then that's, that's who you are. That's who you are. And there's no room for what God is saying. Yeah. In fact, you can, you can actually read scripture, and you can hear sermons and, and, and whatever, and you can take all of that language and very easily apply it yeah. to approve of what you think. Yeah. And to say, yeah, this is exactly right. Everything that God is saying in, in Leviticus totally backs up my chosen political party's platform. You know, pick any book of the Bible, pick any set of issues. Yep, that's it. I'm right. You have some other kingdoms, some other movements, the idea that liberty is, is, is paradise. If only we could have perfect liberty. If only we could completely get rid of all government intervention and everybody, every man could be perfectly free to do everything that he wanted to, everything would be paradise. The Bible actually says... That would probably be a rather bad thing if everyone does as he wants to do. We judges. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, liberty is a great thing. I don't want to diminish the, the, uh, the amount of social progress that, that is made in a variety of issues. I'm, I'm actually, within reason, proud of being an American. I lived overseas for a while. I'm grateful for what we have here. Um, I, I, uh, I, I appreciate uh, some aspects of the, of the lifestyle that we enjoy here. None of these things... I don't want any of these things to be, again, I'll say it again, in my bones. I don't want this to be my kingdom. All of these are, all of these are being pushed so strongly to you every single day. And you're asked to believe in them. I'm going to start talking about politicians by name. Oh, my goodness. Look at that. Okay, so if you have a kingdom, if you have a kingdom, if you have a kingdom, if you have a movement, if you have, if you have this way of life that you believe in, I wanted to have that to be with the reveal. Y'all, y'all got to Jesus already. <laughs> but what, what was really interesting to me is I was going over our recent political history, thinking about it. You know, each one of these leaders, each one of these presidents, has embodied one of the kingdoms that I'm talking about here. In, uh, in, in 2003, the image that I had, and again, I'm, I'm not criticizing these men or their policies per se. I may have voted for at least one of them. Who knows? I want to keep you guessing. <laughs> but in 2003, George W. Bush was packaged, he was marketed as a liberator using quasi-messianic uh, terminology. You know, he's going to free the people the people of Iraq. In 2008, oh my goodness, the idea of, 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 of President Obama as our racial redeemer was everywhere. There were a couple of Newsweek covers where he was, he had the halo in the back. When he was re-elected in 2012, the, the Newsweek headline was the second coming. Wow. All right? So, and it meant, it's tongue-in-cheek. It, it was, 
obviously, and I'm not saying any of these men uh, believe believe it, but man, the packaging is there, yeah. and it works. It absolutely works. When you think about who they ran against, there was nothing. Uh, there was nothing messianic. Well, you know, there was nothing messianic about John McCain. There was nothing. Uh, you know, there was there was nothing particularly that way about about Romney, uh, or Al Gore, or goodness, uh, John Kerry. Um, the winning candidates were able to build this sort of uh, this this sort of um, this sort of persona. They were able to be marketed, marketed, packaged. Donald Trump, Warrior King. That's his brand, baby. That's 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 how he presents himself. He's going to make our enemies pay. That's that's this is how he would uh, this is how he would describe it. And in 2020, who knows? Who knows? Okay, holding out for Jesus. He would he would really complete the whole picture there. Is it Jesus or Yeezy? Yes. I did, thank you. I had to Google it. <laughs> so. Um, hold up, let me go back. A little more to say on this. Talk about Jesus. <laughs> We're going to camp out on Jesus. <laughs> um, if you believe in the man's mission, or woman, if you believe in the mission, then you identify with the leader. And this is what, I'm, what I really want to hit here. You identify with the leader. If you believe in the kingdom, you follow the king. You defend him passionately. And any attack against that man or woman becomes an attack against you personally. I don't know if you've felt that. I don't know if you've been in that situation. I think it's there, and I think it's and I think it's pretty clear that this is how this is how the system is set up. If the leader is damaged, the movement is at risk. So the leader has to be protected at all costs. Um, an attack on the leader feels like an attack on the self. It's not like there are any positions to be understood or debated. It's personalities to be torn down. It's, uh, it's, it's people to attack personally. That's, how, that's, why our, that's why our politics are often just so, so vile, so, you know, so personal, so aggressive. It's not about exchanging views and saying, well, which, which way is it? Which tax policy is optimal? No, it's who's a liar? Who's a bad person? Who's betraying us to our enemies? Who's, you know, fill in the blank, any of these things. Um, and it all becomes about personal identity, and we get invested in those identities. So we got back to the problem. I want to get back to the solution one more time. Okay? What does the Bible have, really have to say about this? It was written 2,000 or more years ago. The New Testament was written almost 2,000 years ago. Um, what could they possibly understand about our modern democratic process? What, what could Paul know about Facebook? You know, what, what, uh, what is there for me today? I'll tell you this, every single thing that the early church said about being in Christ was said, uh, everything the early church believed about their identity in Christ was believed and preached in the face of an empire that said, Caesar is Lord. This is a, uh, this is a coin of one of the Caesars. Caesar Augustus was, he was given the title, uh, Son of a God, Vivi Felis, what was that? Vivi F. Um, that was the identity of the emperor, the God King. And to say that Jesus was Lord was to say that Caesar is not Lord. 
The Greek is um, is, uh, is is Kyrio Yesu, Jesus is Lord. The political slogan of the day was Kyrio Caesar, Caesar is Lord. And so this Christian creed was actually a polit was kind of sort of a political statement, flipping it on its head, saying, "Nope, he is not Lord. He is a man. Jesus is God." The early Christians and the Bible say that no worldly power is above God. That no man's plan can bring heaven down to earth. No amount of no amount of progress, no amount of war, no amount of prosperity will make heaven happen here now. No man's promise, certainly not campaign promise, but no man's promise is as reliable as God's promises. And no human effort can reverse the fall. In contrast, Jesus, testified to in Scripture, is at the right hand of God and holds all authority. The authority that Caesar holds is only for a time. It's only for as long as he's alive. It's limited to this earth. Jesus holds all authority. Jesus will return, bringing heaven with him. Jesus never fails in his promises. Jesus redeems fallen humanity. And it's worth asking again, as we, as we think about all of these, as we think about all of these, um, about all these questions of identity, who are you? Does Jesus enter into your identity? Are you first a product of your genetics? Do you see yourself as, you know, do you see your identity as something that's been given to you, unchanged? Deal with it. Do you see your identity as a product of your choices? I'm a free, independent person. I will, I will grab my own destiny with my hands and make, what, and make of it what I want. Do you see, do, do you view your identity as being a product of your relationships? If I can just find that one man, that one woman, those many women, I don't know, that a, a, a series of, of conquests, then that's my identity. That's what I want. Are you your accomplishments? Are you your GPA? Are you your list of activities and, uh, and uh, you know, bragging rights from UVA? I remember how it is. I remember inviting people to Bible talk and hearing with a uh, strange sort of pride, I can't, I'm busy. I'm so busy, you would have no idea how busy I am. And I would say, yeah, I was, I was busy for my first Bible talk. I didn't show up, and I haven't been too busy since then. Um, but we do have this, I, I remember at UVA, we had this perverse pride in being just so busy. And that was like, I'm important. I'm doing stuff. Yeah. I can't go to your thing. I've got more important things. <clears throat> Are you defined by your feelings? You know, do you, do you rise and fall with, with circumstances? whether it's political circumstances or whatever, you know? Are you up and down based on that? Are you defined by your body? Are you defined by your past? Are you defined by your love or your hate or whoever happens to be the current president of this country? Right. Who are you? Thank you. Thank you. We're going to take a uh, probably a five ten minute. Yeah, five minute break. Yep. Come back. Yep. Great. Cool. Thanks, guys. We're going to go ahead and continue. Bobby, uh, continue with the second half. Bobby, Q and A. So, if you have any questions, Bobby will take those, and then we'll we'll wrap up. So, Bobby, part two. All right. Thanks, Drew. Come on, Bobby. Uh oh. The computer guy, and it's not working. Okay, cool.
<clears throat> I wanted to, um, so we're next, uh, I'm, I'm going to give a couple of practicals from the, uh, from the previous session. Um, some, uh, some, some things that I've found are, have been helpful for me, or I've found them, uh, I found them recommended by other people. Um, you know, we, we can have these, uh, you know, maybe, you, maybe, you're, maybe you're feeling like, oh, this is a problem, and maybe you can, maybe you can identify with, with a part of that problem. It might be in yourself. The great, uh, great man G.K. Chesterton was asked one time, uh, G.K., what is wrong with the world? And he said, I am. So, um, you know, taking, uh, taking that look at the man in the mirror. Um, if you have any sort of, uh, if, if you want to have action to take, here's some ideas. <clears throat> Unplug for a while. For a while, like maybe six or so years ago, I was really, really into the news, especially during work. I was always checking the news and obsessing over it. And so, uh, so I just, I, so I went into my laptop or my computer, and I blocked all the sites that I would always go to, the ones that I would just type out of muscle memory, right? Whenever I was bored, yeah. new tab, CNN.com, boom. And I would always just, you know, then scroll through it for too long, to, especially at work. Unplugged for a while. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Romans 12:2. Um, if you can take a if you can take a fast, a week or more from the news and from Facebook, I guarantee you will feel better, uh, and you'll be able to sort of disengage so that you can reengage in a more faithful way. Uh, there's a biblical command in 1 Timothy 2:2 that's uh, that's somewhat controversial nowadays. Pray for your leaders. Um, that's a that's a hard thing, and I and I really encourage you uh, to do that. And as you're doing that, think about every level of government. The scripture says, "Pray for the emperor and for the governors." So be aware of who your city, state, and national representative leaders are. Um, you probably won't hate all of them. <clears throat> and also, and, and another uh, and, and another thing that you um, that that might encourage you is um, as you're praying for your leaders, think about how I would be doing this no matter what. I would be doing this regardless of the character of the man or the woman in any of these offices. It's not about them, it's about a command from God. And how, and, and it's a way of saying, you know, I'm not going to let my, my heart be thrown this way or that by what other people tell me, uh, by, by, what's, by you know, what's controversial right now in society. Um, I encourage you to examine your purpose. Identity doesn't mean much if we're not doing anything with it. Um, if we're, uh, you know, if, if you think you have a conviction about something but aren't doing anything about it, it will wither on the vine. So consider your purpose and examine your commitments. You know, what do you do every week or every month in the service of this conviction that you have? You think I am this sort of person, therefore I will do this sort of thing tangible, concrete action. And finally, I want to encourage you to, uh, to find people who disagree with you and uh, find a way to talk to them in a, way that's, uh, in a way that's productive. Not to change their minds, not to have your mind changed even necessarily, but just to say, okay, this can be done. Yeah. You know, you might feel very strongly about some issue or another. Maybe you know somebody who doesn't feel that way. Ask them about it. Ask them why they think that way without it being some sort of leading why do you think that kind of question, right? Yeah. Ask, um, ask in order to understand. Um, and then be a person that other people want to talk to. Be the kind of person who, if somebody else is given that challenge, is like, yeah, I know that, I know that Ben doesn't agree with me about this, 
But I like Ben. I trust Ben. I trust that Ben's not. I, I trust that Ben's not going to make fun of me and then uh, you know talk talk smack about me behind my back. Or I know that you know I know that Larry isn't going to isn't going to judge me for not having the same opinions as him. Be the kind of man that other people want to talk to, like Larry. <laughs> and uh, finally, don't compromise your witness. This could be honestly, this could be like a two-hour thing. You know, how to be a Christian on social media. Perhaps get off of social media. <laughs> but um, you know, or else, or or you know, consider. Everything that you post, everything that you like, shows up on other people's feeds. If you're supposed to be representing Jesus Christ to them, and you're doing nonsense, it completely undermines everything else about your witness. Um, so, watch out. Okay, who are you? We're going to go into a case study of two men here. We're going to talk about King Saul. King Saul, around, uh, around 1000 B.C., was uh, he was simply uh, he was simply Saul of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a tall, handsome fella. He made a good candidate. He would made a good, the Bible says he was a tall, handsome fella, and uh, he, he would have made a good presidential candidate nowadays too. If you if you've ever uh, if you've ever done the research, the tallest person almost always wins. In First Samuel chapter nine, verses one to two, it's kind of discouraging to think that it is. 1 Samuel 9, 1-2, we're going to talk about King Saul and his identity. Um, at, the, uh, at, the time, at the time, Israel had no king. Israel was oppressed by, uh, by foreigners. They were led by judges, which were like tribal chieftains. And, um, and uh, Israel decided that they wanted a king, and they chose this guy. They chose uh, Saul. And it says in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 9, verses 1-2, and 2, he was from a father of standing. So we're talking about his identity here. Uh, he was handsome, he was young, he was tall. There was a Benjaminite, a man of standing whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Pharaoh, the son of Benjamin. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. All right. So that's who Saul was. He was, he was a known quantity. And so when Israel wanted a king, they said in 1 Samuel 8, uh, starting in verse 4. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old. <laughs> Amen. It'll happen one day. You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Such as all the other nations have. But when the Israelites, uh, but when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this, this pleased Samuel. He was, like the, he was like the chieftain at the time. He wasn't a king. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Then he talks about how the king is going to reign pretty brutally over the people. He's going to impose heavy taxes. He's going to, he's going to uh, force them to work for him and take care of his horses and whatnot. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be, here it is again, like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, 
Everyone go back to your own town. Israel wanted a king because all the other nations had kings. The idea of a king in Canaanite culture uh, was, a, um, was, a, was a man from the people uh, who, was, who was in communion with God. He was the people's representative before God. He was God's representative to the people. Um, and, uh, and, and the people needed and wanted a man who, they, who would like, carry their national banner. He would be the object of national pride, the king. Uh, that's why, um, if you read some of the, uh, if, if you read the Assyrian and the Babylonian uh, conquest epics, the, the the enemy king is always, you know, humiliated in a terrible way. His arms and legs are broken, and he's hauled off in iron shackles, and you know, great ancient stuff. Um, the, uh, the the king was the symbol of the nation, and the people of Israel didn't feel that they had anyone to rally behind. And God pointed out to Samuel. Well, the problem here isn't you, and the problem isn't me. The problem is the people not identifying with God. A king like Saul, he embodies the people. He's their champion. He's their warrior king. He's a figure of national pride and love. He's a great builder or warrior. Having a king or a president or any other powerful figure who's both the head of state and the head of government is a, is a strong double-edged sword. The office can unify a nation Israel did some great things under great kings, uh, but it can also become a focus of inappropriate devotion or even idolatry, which is what was the case here with the with the um, with the with the beginning of the kingship in Israel. Our political process exploits this. We're told that we're electing a savior. We're we're told that we're electing the man who's going to fix everything, who's going to deliver us. We're encouraged to see a candidate, like we said last time as an extension of our own identity. I know that guy. He's like me. I want to have a beer with him. That's, that's, how, poli that's how political scientists talk about uh, that, that relatability factor. Can you have a beer with him? The opposition doesn't just disagree with policy. They oppose your identity. <clears throat> you might hear it said, you probably heard it said a few months ago, and you'll hear it said in four years, this election is the last chance we have to save America. You heard it a few months ago, you heard it four years ago, you heard it eight years ago, you heard it 12 years ago. You will continue to hear it in four-year increments for as long as you're alive, as long as you're paying attention. Uh, even if you don't believe that, even if you look at that and say, yeah, whatever, it's, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not so sure about that, you're still exposed to the second-hand effects of it on your Facebook feed and through cable news and through all the things that are around you, all the things that are happening. So Saul, things did not go well for him. He was elevated to the kingship. Um, he, uh, he he disobeyed God, and um, and he was brought low. He was this. Uh, he, he was a he was a great warrior who didn't trust in God, who didn't have faith in God, and then he was brought down. And the whole nation uh, tended to rise and fall with the quality of its kings. One of the great dangers that we see in the, in, in Israelite history is when there's a uh, when there's a wicked king the whole nation descends into idolatry yeah. because they don't have their own convictions. They're following whatever that guy says. That guy does. Again, very dangerous when you consider how visible the president is, how, you know, how whatever the president says or does is presented as, as normal, as okay to, to, to everybody. It's very scary, very dangerous. And believe me, I would give the same talk no matter who won this election or any election. Scary stuff. <laughs> We're going to talk about another Saul. 
We're going to talk about Paul of Tarsus now. He's kind of the flip side of it. We're going to talk about Paul's identity. He was short. Hmm? He was short. He was probably not all that attractive. He got beat up so many times in his life. He probably looked like a boxer. He probably had like that nose and his like rolled ears and you know, boxers, they have they have these cheeks that have been hit so many times they're like full of scar tissue. That's how I imagine Paul. He was bald too, I think. He's uh, he's depicted as bald in ancient art. Okay, so Paul. Paul is gonna be our uh, it's gonna be our positive case study. Remember the thesis was um, uh, that uh, that our, our identity in Christ supersedes and transforms every other bit of our identity. Every other thing that we are is trumped by our identity in Christ. And Paul is probably the best example of that. So we're going to talk about Paul. Who was he? In Philippians 3, uh, verses 4 through 8, Paul talks about, about his own confidence in the flesh. Can, can, can I get a Bible, somebody, please? No. I do like to, I would like to read it. It's worth it. You really hear Paul's voice. You hear Paul's voice here, and you hear what you hear exactly what he thinks about about his own identity. Okay, Philippians uh, three, four through eight. If anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, writes Paul, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. So uh, Paul used to be uh, used to be named Saul. Uh, he was uh, he was he was born Jewish. He continued to be Jewish uh, his entire life. But he had a he had an encounter with Jesus Christ, the risen Jesus, on the road to Damascus, in the, in maybe his middle you know middle age, and uh, from that time on, he was uh, he was a powerful preacher teacher and wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Um, and he understood what it meant to have confidence in the flesh. He knew what it meant to be proud about your own identity. He said, you want to, have, you want to be confident? I got it all. I'm of the right nation, God's people, Israel. I'm of this plucky, awesome tribe of Benjamin. All, all 11 other tribes fought Benjamin at some point in time, and they, and they, and they didn't wipe them out. Benjamin took them all on. Um, so that's a little thing about Benjamin. But any Benjaminite would remember that, you know. Um, uh, with regard to his family, you know, he, he came from a family that, family that could trace its own lineage. So it was an established family. He had the right associations. He was in the right party for his time. He was a Pharisee. He was, you know, he was able to flash that card and get access to places, right? He had the right associations. He had the right activist cred. <coughs> Uh, before he be, before he became a Christian, he was a persecutor of the way Jesus's people, and he was regarded as the most successful persecutor. He he had his cause, he had his mission, he went after it. He went after it hard. He followed the he followed the moral code. Every group has their own kind of unspoken and spoken rules of conduct. Paul was really good at navigating that world, and he nailed it. He knew exactly how to be to rise up within his own group. Paul knew how to how to have how to be successful in the identity game. Relatively, in light of Christ, his new identity, he calls this all nothing. He says in verse seven, "But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. The word translated as rubbish can also be translated as sewage, can also be translated as a worse word that we don't say in church. Um, so he said, I, I was all of these things. I was hot stuff. I had it going on. I was, I was succeeding in every way in my, in my chosen field. It's all gone. It's all, it's all worth nothing compared to knowing Jesus. In Romans 3, starting in verse 1, I'm going to put in a caveat here. So, so then, what does this mean for our identities? What does this mean for the things that you are that aren't Jesus, right? I'm sure Paul thought through that too. He said, why am I Jewish? Am I still Jewish? Does it matter that I'm still of the tribe of Benjamin? I think that we as Christians struggle with this a lot. Yeah. We can think... I am these things. I am, by nature, by temperament, I'm an engineer. Some of us, you know, you have your national or your racial identity, and that's a very deep and personal thing to you. And you might be struggling with the idea, does that matter now? Can I identify as this thing, or does Jesus get rid of it all? You might remember we had a, uh, there, was a there was a previous scripture uh, it says there's now no more, uh, no, no male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, all are one in Christ. So does that mean that there's no distinction between men and women? Does that mean that there's no point in being in the heritage of, of being Jewish? Does that mean that there's no point in the country you were raised in or the, the, the cultural heritage that you, that you have? Well, this is what Paul said. Romans chapter 3, verse 1. He said, what advantage then? Is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, they've been entrusted with the very words of God. And, um, and so he, he does affirm there that his natural identity does matter. That it does have absolute meaning. Relative to Christ, it's as if nothing. But it's not meaningless. It's something. It's a thing. It's something that you've been given by God, whatever it is. I don't know what you... I don't know if you struggle with this. I don't know if this is a if this is an issue for you, um, but I think that Paul would say that anything that you've been given by God is something uh, is is something that needs to be superseded by Christ, but also transformed by Christ. So, what am I? I'm an engineer. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that for Jesus. I've always had this this awesome uh, picture in my head of Genesis one of the creation story where God begins, he, he, he begins creation, and, uh, and, and, and the earth is, is formless. It's a formless void. It's chaos. Much like a hard drive that's random ones and zeros. Okay? This is what I think when I program. God started, amen, can I get a, do we have any programmers here? Nope. Okay. What? <laughs> landed, of course landed. Awesome. Okay, so God started with chaos. He started with, 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 uh, with formless, void, null, nothing. And he, and, he, and he put his hands in there and he brought out order from there, self-sustaining order that can continue on its own based on, based on knowable rules. That's awesome. That's incredible. And as an engineer, you know, if you're in the hard sciences or math, you can, uh, 
You can, um, you can identify with God's work of creation. That's what you can participate in every day. What God told Adam to do, you know, work that, work that garden, bring some order to the, to the world, that's what you can do. Maybe you're in the humanities. Maybe you're, um, you know, yep, maybe we have some humanities people here at UVA. Um, you know, you can, um, uh, you can think of how, how, uh, how, how the humanities in their best form are supposed to lead us to what is true and good and beautiful, and how all of those things are from God. And so in your study, you're only discovering what God has put in there. I don't know, that's, that's, that's how I think about my work. I, want, I, I encourage you to think in a, in a scriptural way about what you do day to day. Your, your identity, what you do matters. It's not, a, it's not just something that you do to make money so that you can come to church and give money to the poor. It's meant, it, our, our Christian life is meant to be something that's lived in a, in, in a holistic way. I'm going to do one more scripture here. This is Paul, again, showing us something about identity. Go over to Acts 21 if you have a Bible. I remember reading this for the first time and I laughed. But this guy, this Paul guy, he's a nut. <laughs> Too much. Okay, Acts 21, verse 37. Uh, we pick up here, uh, Paul, again, um, he preaches the gospel and uh, a riot starts and he's almost beat up. <clears throat> this Again, this happens all the time. This was a Tuesday for Paul. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, they saved him from getting beat up too bad. He asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the desert some time ago? See, we're getting back to current day. Terrorists. Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. Having received the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. Where they were all silent, when they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic. So he switches his languages. He speaks in Greek to the soldiers, Aramaic to the crowd. He announces himself as a Jew, and he says the town he's from. He's using every bit of his of his identity in the service of Christ. Pretty awesome. And then he motions to them, and he says, Brothers and sisters, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. I love that. He says, then Paul says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. Under Gamaliel, who's a famous rabbi, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. And as also the high priest and all the council can testify. So he's, man, he's kind of shameless. He's name dropping. He's, he's switching up languages. I speak Spanish. It is such a thrill to be able to like, slide into Spanish when nobody expects it. It is awesome. Um, Paul was at least trilingual. He would have spoke Greek, Aramaic, Hebrew, probably Latin, maybe some other, maybe some other local language. <clears throat> We're going to keep going here in uh, verse 25, chapter 22. So he gives his defense, and he preaches to them, and he has some back and forth. Tells them, uh, he, he tells them what he's about, and they're interested but then he, then he crosses some lines and he says some controversial things and they get mad. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this uh, about going to the Gentiles. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live! I'll be honest, I was kind of, think, I was kind of expecting a similar... Uh, you guys have been a great, a great group, by the way. But I was thinking about this scripture. It's going to happen to me tonight. Um, the crowd listened to Paul until he said this. 
as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust in the air. The commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. This is, this is it's crazy. This is normal. This is a normal day for Paul. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, <clears throat> could imagine him saying, by the way, <laughs> is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do, he asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and said, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. He's still, he's still stretched out on the rack. <laughs> yep, <laughs> it's true. <clears throat> then, the, uh, then the commander said, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship. But I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to question him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. Paul believed strongly in the usefulness of his identity. He was very aware of who he was. He didn't, he didn't become this generic non-person after he became a Christian, right? Um, you know, some, some people can read, the, can read the passage, there's no male nor female, slave nor free age or Gentile, and say, well, okay, I guess Christians are all supposed to be sort of genderless and beige. Is that, is that how it's supposed to be? So we just don't offend anybody and we're not different from each other? We all kind of have to be kind of boring and the same? Um, that's absolutely not what Paul was. And I think if you look around in this room, that's not what we are here. We're a, we're a, we're a, great, uh, we're, we're a great diverse group, come from all, all, all walks of life, all, all places. Um, and, uh, and Paul, Paul really embraced his identity in as much as it served Christ. His identity in Christ superseded and it transformed everything else that he was. We're gonna do some Q&A, but I just wanted to leave you with some thoughts. Who are you? Is Jesus Lord in that way? When you think about who you are, you think, I'm a Jesus person, first and foremost. Everything else I think is under that. Have you been changed? If your opinions about the world, about politics, about social stuff, didn't change at all before and after your baptism, I really encourage you, strong as I can, to reconsider your assumptions about what's important to you. If you don't change any of your opinions from, from, from when you were dead in sin to being alive in Christ, maybe you haven't been, uh, you know, maybe you haven't been subjecting what you think to God's word. And I'm not trying to, this isn't leading you in any particular way. I hope I, hope I haven't come across that way. I'm trying very hard to uh, not let you know anything about what I think beyond Jesus. Um, all I want to do is encourage you and challenge you, submit your, submit your opinions to the word of God and let him change you. Amen? Cool. So we're going to take some Q&A. Um, I'm uh, by no means an expert in these things, but I did spend an awful lot of time putting this together, did a lot of reading. And uh, if you have any questions that you want to talk about, we can have like a family talk here. Thanks again. Those are, those are my kids. <laughs> I wanted to put that up there.
Luke, Joanna, and Lydia. They're all they're all being themselves just very well there. So cool. Cool. Yeah. Anybody have any questions? Anything um strike you or Wow. Thank you. I, have, I have a question. Um, so, how do I say this? So, if you look at uh, probably the last 20 years or so, mm -hmm. there's been a strong movement or push, um, especially on the right side, um, as part of kind of evangelical Christianity to um, Christianize the state, so to speak. Yeah, religion, right? Um, you have a great question. Uh, so I was interested to hear what your thoughts are on, as our identity in Christ, what is our our role That was the, the, your second thing was the thing that I struggled the most with in, in my own study, and I still struggle with it in, my, in how I understand my calling as a disciple. Um, it's a lot easier to say, what does, what does Christ have to do with Caesar? I'm just going to be a good disciple. I'm going, to, I'm going to do church things, and I'm not going to do anything else. And that's the, that's the cleanest approach it's the safest approach but I don't it's yeah that's that's the tough one when I um uh, when I was when I was looking through what the uh, what the first century first second third century Christians thought and believed about this um, they were in an interesting position where they didn't have any political power um, so they it never entered their minds to affect social change right their their mission was to uh, was to tell people about Jesus and to care for the poor. Um, and now we have all of this other opportunity. We have all these other outlets. We have all of these levers that we can try to pull, trying to, uh, <coughs> trying to affect a certain outcome. Um, and uh, honestly, I couldn't stand here and tell you that it's right and good and what you should be doing as a Christian to be politically involved, but I couldn't tell you that it's, that it's wrong either. Um, it's, I think a lot of it, I, I was discussing this with somebody earlier, um, somebody posted that question, should a, should a Christian be politically active, and can it, can, it, uh, can it affect your salvation, you know, can it be, can you get so tied up in it that it can affect you that way, and I, I think that Jesus would say that, um, that uh, it's hard for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, um, the thing, the problem with riches is that, um, you know, is that it, it, it consumes you. And that's the danger of political, uh, of political association and activism. It can consume you so quickly and easily. <coughs> so there's that danger, but there's nothing, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with it. And there can be something intrinsically very right and good, depending on the issue. You know? that's, that's what I would say. Yeah. I've dodged your question in that way. <laughs> yeah, right. Stand here like like uh, yeah. CNN. <laughs> yeah. um, I think um, on one hand, I think we do have the opportunity here that we can we that we, that we can vote. 
but even there, on any set of issues, and I think here's another problem too, is that we, uh, the way things are so polarized now, it's like you're, you're trying to be forced into one camp or the other. I can say I feel very strongly about things that one party represents, and I feel equally as strongly about things that the other party represents. Mm -hmm. And some and the things I totally that I feel very strongly against, I see as both parties. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I have to make, I think I have I think we have the opportunity uh, to weigh that. You know, we're probably gonna have different opinions in that, but to weigh that and make our vote, and still we pray to God, we still pray for Caesar. I mean, they, the early Christians were told to pray for Caesar. We can certainly pray for whoever is. Uh, there and I was even thinking today, really over the last over my lifetime, I'm 57 now. Whoever's in Washington doesn't really affect the way I live my life. Right. And you know, I was uh, we became a Christian during the Carter administration. <laughs> he didn't affect me, but uh, and so that um, on the other hand, yeah, there's definitely things where I think, uh, and I have, I do have some strong opinions about as far as life goes about what makes more sense and what makes less sense. Again, both parties have mm -hmm. things that I like and things that I hate. And but at the same time, I'm going to uh, number one, Jesus is Lord, and that's first. And I feel like the, the Bible has a whole lot more, makes a whole lot more sense than a lot of it. So, um, anyway, that's more of a commentary question. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Hey. Uh, I love what you discussed about just uh, the, the transforming of our minds um, and uh, the way we think. Uh, and just comparing that to the, the pattern of this world. And uh, so I guess like even how we label, like the labels that we have for ourselves, like ways, things we identify from our past or our culture or whatever we've grown up in or uh, been around, what, how, I guess what are some practicals that help you kind of transform your mind as, as uh, you've made just the world you're living? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I think, well, one of the, one of the most helpful things is it seems like every election, you you feel a sense of uh, if if you're following it, you feel a sense of stirring, like there are, there are big things afoot right now, and so I always I always read um, I always go back to the Old Testament. I read um, I read Ezekiel or Jeremiah um, Lamentations, talking about how God God is really the one who who commands kingdoms. Um, he's his his power is sovereign over everything. Uh, just because something happens doesn't mean that God affirmatively wills it, but he allows it to happen, and it just kind of takes the sting out of how I might feel one way or take the jubilation I might feel out of it, you know? Like, amen, I can step back and say God is in control, and that does that does change how you look at things. I think um, using, you, you mentioned labels, that can be a... Um, it's really helpful when you're talking to somebody to avoid using labels. This is worldly wisdom, um, but it's true. You know, when you're talking to somebody, the longer you can go without saying, "Oh, so you're pretty liberal," or "Oh, you're you're a conservative," you know, the longer you can go without saying that, the better. The better the conversation goes. The more you can kind of draw them out, and um, learning how, learning why people think the way they do helps you see beyond the "I'm with you" or "I'm against you" mindset. Um, that's, that's, that's always been helpful. Being, being interested in people helps too. Um, if you're, if you're more concerned about proving yourself right, right. if you're more interested in, in defending your position, even if it's, even if it's a, a strong biblical position, um, you know, if, if you, if you don't understand where they're coming from, they're probably not going to listen to you, especially nowadays. Yeah. Devonda. Um, thanks for your presentation. I was really 
Yeah, there's a scripture in John that says, uh, Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. Um, that's been kind of a, a touchstone for a lot of us in dealing with church issues. Um, the, uh, you know, Jesus was full of grace and he was full of truth, and neither one of those things would overwhelm the other. Um, I think that uh, one, of the, one of the biggest issues that's divided churches in the de denominational world in the past 20 years uh, the church that I, that I had attended as a child was, was actually torn up by this, was um, uh, uh, issues of sexuality, issues of, um, you know, whether or, not, uh, uh, whether or not women should be ordained first. I, I think that was back in, like, the 50s. Uh, but then, uh, you know, whether or not uh, homosexuals should be ordained and whether or not they could be married while serving as ministers. And it was, um, it, it's, a, uh, it's a really charged subject because... I think I would say that scripturally, the answer is quite plain. But when people come with this, with this concern, they're coming from a place of, of like, it's their identity. It's, you know, it's their identity. It's the identity of their, uh, of their, of their family and friends. Um, and so starting with, starting with having a, a compassionate, why do you feel that way? help me understand is, is really the only foot to start out on. Anything else is going to, is going to result in, in, uh, in a, in a clash in an unfruitful clash as far as I can tell. Um, but yeah, starting out, starting out with grace and, uh, but never compromising on truth. Um, that's the, that's the, that's the hard messy business, um, in any, in any kind of conflict. And that's, and there, and there are also plenty of conflicts in which there is no, obvious biblical teaching one way or the other. In that case, grace and, and compassion is even more important. Yeah. Sally. Hey. So I really appreciate, you know, what you shared, and especially, I guess, thinking about how Paul was, you know, when he had the resume, of resumes, and, you know, still, you know, still did all these things. I thought it was a good point as well that you were saying, um, and putting those two scriptures together about, yeah, there's no more Greek, there's no more Jews, you know, it's just all of us and we're under God. But how do you find that, I guess, um, that we can, um, like, practically, like, not alienate ourselves and still go with some of those, if you will, nationalities and things that Paul valued, like, today, you know, that, like, kind of getting in control. Mm, okay, yeah, there was a, um, so with Paul and, and with a lot of the early Jewish Christians, there was a, um, there would have been a, a strong temptation to have their identity as, as, as Jews, as citizens of Israel, uh, be more important to them than their identity as Christians. The whole book of Hebrews is written to people who are in that 
who are in that position. Um, they're having an identity crisis. They've they've been um, you know they've they've been separated somewhat from their from their from their Jewish roots, but they want to still be in. But they also want to be Christians, and they're going through this really hard, trying time. Um, the uh, <clears throat> I'd say that um, yeah, I'd say that uh, that having your identity in Christ be strong enough and well thought out enough to be to. In, in order to supersede and transform and to productively use everything else that you are, um, you know, thinking about, you know, not, not seeing, um, trying not to see your, your birth identity um, as being in opposition to Christ, but seeing Christ as being over it and using it. So, th- you know, thinking faithfully, I am a University of Virginia alum. I am a son of Virginia, whatever, you know, I'm all of these things. How can Jesus use that? Um, how can how can you know? And, and thinking faithfully rather than thinking uh, oppositionally, that can be helpful. Tom, I'm just going to go back as far as the compassion versus what's right. I think there are definitely a lot of things that are very spelled out. Is that way in the scripture? But the way Jesus would handle that is very compassionate. Maybe like for instance, the you know, woman caught in adultery. Clearly, said at the same time, everybody else was about to stone her. He basically showed her complete compassion. Mm-hmm. Said, "Who of you was innocent?" But at the same time, you know, go, you know I, I don't condemn you either, but go and sin no more. And then the woman at the well, you know, this uh, this woman that was totally not his culture, you know, not not the uh, the banner of holding up, you know, righteousness, you know, from she was Samaritan, but she was, uh, but he his compassion for her, you know, met her where she was at. She's going after all these relationships she has because she's looking for something and it's not fulfilled. And he just said, hey, I can do that. I can help you. So just taking that. But, and again, like in today's situation, things that clearly the Bible says are wrong at the same time. So like you say, taking it with compassion. Is my objective to prove myself right and you're wrong? Or is my objective to, hey, I want you, you know, I want the best for you. I want you to, you know, and, uh, and whatever I need to do to be the best ambassador to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it can be yeah, we can we can get get trapped in thinking like there's only one way to do this Christianity thing, like there is a there is a certain set of of uh of of things that I must do and um I I think we can think more creatively about how we reach out to people, how we how we relate to people. Uh there's a there's a brother I know uh, up in our sister church in Boston who has his own has his own uh friendship ministry. He says he and his uh and his best friend is uh, is Jewish, um, and so they have this thing where they go around and they try to meet atheists and pagans, and just have this sort of friendly little scrum in which he and the, and he finds ways to bring up Jesus, and it's a completely friendly, natural thing. He says it's been very fruitful. Um, people have like people are showing genuine interest in Christian teaching, Christian life and doctrine, um, in ways in you know in very secular, very liberal Boston, that, uh, and he's, he's making these, these really impressive inroads. Um, we can think more creatively in how we reach out. Um, doesn't have to be oppositional. Anything else? Maddie. Sure. 
I skipped a bunch of them. I can I can give you my notes. I can put up I can give them to Drew and put them on the Facebook page. Cool. Great. Yeah, there's there are so many scriptures in Paul's writings that say exactly the same thing, but with like a different shade of meaning. Um, so that was that was really cool to see. Thank you. Karen. Polysi, right? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, one of the other points I skipped was that um, uh, was yeah one of the reasons why it's maybe a good idea to be aware of what's going on in the world and somewhat engaged is if only for this reason everybody you're reaching out to is is in that and that's what they're thinking and caring about. Um, if you're not engaged, you're we're we're going to be you know, maybe there's maybe there's benefit to that. Maybe maybe somebody will look at you and say, "You're so happy all the time. How can I be like that?" Um, but uh, you know, I, th I think more often than not, uh, people respect people respect if you're aware of what's going on, you, and and if you have and if you have a a, a Christian take on the events of of the day. Um, people want to hear it. Yeah. Cool. Is that it? Cool. Thank you very much. Yeah.